When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But his brother Homer wasn't happy about leaving Floyd in the cave forever, and two months later, he and a friend reopened the shaft and dug a new tunnel. They recovered Floyd's body, and they buried him in the ground on the Collins family farm. Still doesn't end there for Floyd. I was, I was I, hoping. I, I'm starting to feel like Floyd. <laughs> I have this nightmare. I'm stuck in a podcast episode. My legs are trapped. <laughs> the story isn't over yet. <laughs> this is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast. Stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today we're talking about Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky. It's famous for being the longest cave system in the world, but it's also rumored to be the most haunted national park in the nation. For over 50 years, people who work in Mammoth Cave have seen ghostly apparitions. They've heard footsteps and voices in empty areas of the cave, and they felt the cold touch of a hand brushing against them in the dark. We'll discuss some of those documented ghostly encounters. And Karen will share stories about some of the people throughout the centuries who had tragedy strike them while in the cave. And she'll explain why it seems their spirits might still be down there today, roaming the passageways of Mammoth Cave. Oh my gosh, I love that music so much. Isn't that great? It's great. <laughs> Doesn't it just put you in the mood? <laughs> put me in the mood for what? <laughs> for our episode about Haunted Mammoth Cave. It just seems spooky and it's a perfect day for it because it's raining outside. All we really need is like a clap of thunder and for our power to go out. Yeah, you'll have to search for some thunder sound effects <laughs> to put in your podcast here hey that's a great idea let's do that all right (laughs) so today we are talking about mammoth cave and not just about mammoth cave but stories of ghosts and goblins and ghouls in mammoth cave all of those they have all those things in (laughs) mammoth cave yes all of them every single one and more yeah When we first went to all the national parks, I thought Mammoth Cave was named Mammoth Cave because they found mammoth fossils in there. I did too. I was very disappointed when I found out. (laughs) No, it's just because it's big. It's huge. It is the world's largest cave system, and it's not even fully explored yet. So there, there are even more passageways and more caves potentially down there. They used to think it was two caves. There was this Flint Ridge cave system nearby, 
1972, they actually found a passageway that connected that Flint Ridge cave system with the Mammoth Cave system. And now it's all considered one cave. I think that's fascinating. And you know what? Last month in September, the Park Service announced that a team of researchers had recently discovered eight previously unknown miles of underground passageways. And so that discovery expanded the total explored passages within the cave to 420 miles. Are you going to go back? And I say you, <laughs> because I'll, I'll be on the surface waiting for you. You're going to go back and uh, see all 420 miles? Uh, well, unfortunately, that's not open to the public. I believe there are only about, um, I think maybe 20 miles that are open to public tours, but I would love to. I think I missed my calling. I should have been a caver. Only 20 of the 420 miles mm-hmm, that's are right. open? Yeah, the rest, I mean, they're open to researchers and scientists and geologists, but they're not open to you and I. You want to do a belly crawling tour, don't you? <laughs> I would love to do a, a belly crawling tour. You know how I feel about caves. It's no secret that my favorite is Carlsbad Caverns, but I, I loved Mammoth Cave too. Uh, it seemed like Carlsbad had more bells and whistles. It, you know, it was more opulent and glittery. I don't and... remember one bell or whistle <laughs> in Carlsbad Caverns. Yeah, there wasn't as many speleothems. I think, in, mm-hmm. in Mammoth. I, actually, I liked Mammoth a little bit better because we went on a really long, we went on a four-mile tour, and it was kind of a good workout. I thought the geography below ground was was different and more varied in Mammoth. Yeah, the tour we did took us to multiple levels in the cave, and that, that was really fun. Well, yeah, we'll talk about our cave tour there, but before we get into that, we should say that Mammoth Cave became a national park on July 1st in 1941. Yeah, and private citizens created the Mammoth Cave National Park Association in 1924. And then they authorized the park in 26. Now, the government had to acquire quite a bit of land. So it took them another 15 years to get everything organized. And I guess they bought land. Uh, some private donors contributed money to buy it. And then the government used eminent domain to take some land, which the locals did not like at all. Not I bad. guess there's still some hard feelings there. But anyway, they got all the land that they needed for the park and in 1941 they made it uh, officially made it a national park then it was made a world heritage site in october of 1981 and if anyone doesn't know what the unesco world heritage sites are it's a it's a designation for places on earth that are of outstanding un- universal value to humanity And so they have been inscribed on the World Heritage List to be protected for future generations to appreciate and enjoy. And and Mammoth Cave is on that list. Great. So, Matt, you know what? We haven't had a pop quiz in a long time. Good, good. (laughs) Do you want me to ask you a question? No, I have one for you. (laughs) What is the fastest land animal? (laughs) Good. No, no. This is a pop quiz for you. Okay. Do you know... Or can you name any of the other U.S. national parks that are also on the UNESCO World Heritage Site list? No, I don't know. Mesa Verde? Yes. How about that? Ding, 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 ding. Um, 
What what do I get? For... <laughs> you get a point for each one. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> what on, do can... I what just what guess. do I use these points for? What are some other Grand Canyon? Yes. Ding 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 ding. All right, I get two points. You got two points. Keep going. No, that's it. <laughs> I'm stopping. <laughs> It's like, let's make a deal. Sometimes you stop. I know I was going to stop and take my cash now. Uh, I have no cash. <laughs> I thought last week you said you have cash built up from every time we use the America, the beautiful pass and save money. You store up the cash. I think well, you do have cash. I, I did say that, but I also said that then I spend it in the visitor center gift shops. Well, you're going to so. have to start spending it on <laughs> buying my points back. <laughs> For future pop quizzes. Yeah. <laughs> All yes. right. Then I will tell you the list um, because I have it right here. The other U.S. national parks are Mesa Verde, Yellowstone, Everglades, Grand Canyon, Redwood, Olympic, Great Smoky Mountains, Yosemite, Hawaii Volcanoes, Carlsbad Caverns, of course, Glacier National Park, and in Alaska, Wrangell St. Elias, and Glacier Bay. I'd like to know how they chose those. I, I don't know exactly. I, I, I can think of a bunch of other places, but... Yeah, I can think of some national parks that should be on that I, list. Yeah, I didn't get the invitation to be on the committee, so we'll yeah. just keep going on. Yeah, we we'll digress. Just, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so where the heck is Mammoth Cave? Well, it's in Kentucky, and it's uh, about halfway between Louisville and... So, do I say that right? They say Lou, Louisville, Louisville. Don't Kentucky people say it in a special way? I have no idea. What are you talking about? Help me out, Kentucky it's, people. It's halfway between Louisville and Nashville. I, I can say Louisville. I don't think that's correct. I don't think it's Louisville. It's the way I say it. Well, I know, but I, you're I'm from not, Kansas. I'm not from Kentucky. It's, Lu- I think it, it's Louisville. Okay. It's halfway between Louisville and Nashville. <laughs> it's about an hour and a half between each of those cities, which I think it makes it a perfect add-on trip. If you're ever visiting one of those cities, oh yeah, it would be a good day trip. I think you could do a day trip. Yeah. And if you don't want to do a day trip and drive in, there are some places to stay around there. We stayed in the cute little town of Horse Cave, Kentucky, and that was about 30 minutes or so from the visitor center. And that was like 10 years ago. So, mm-hmm. and, and I've noticed by just doing Google Maps that there are a lot more motel hotel chains in the area. Plus, there's a lodge. I know. Right? We, it, I wish we would have stayed there. Yeah. I think we may have tried to do that and, and couldn't get a reservation, but it's right next to the visitor center. And they have some little cabins, don't they? You know, they have a, different, uh, a couple of different types of cottages, and then I think they have more traditional kind of motel rooms at the lodge. They look pretty modern from looking at their website. Yeah, I'm not sure when that was built. I know um, because when I was doing the research, I kept kept coming across Mammoth Cave Hotel, the historic one, and that was built in the 1800s. But unfortunately, it caught on fire in 1919 and burned to the ground. So the, the new Mammoth Lodge is obviously much more recent. And if you want to camp, there is the Mammoth Cave Campground. It's about a quarter of a mile from the visitor center. It has 111 sites. And I noticed there are a couple of other campgrounds close by, like within 10, 15 miles. So there's a lot of a lot of options for, for lodging. And once you're done with your cave tour or multiple cave tours, uh, some of the other things to do in the park are just like other parks. There's fishing, hiking, kayaking, horseback riding, bicycling, and uh, what they have like 80 miles of hiking trails there. 
They have 80 miles of hiking trails, which is where I'll be while you're exploring, the, <laughs> you're doing your belly crawling tour. All right. You let me know how those are. You know, I do remember when we drove into the park or maybe we were driving out, we saw a bobcat cross the road. Remember that? We did see a bobcat. And I, I thought it maybe it was a local's cat that's got, got its tail caught. And, and chopped off. But no, the ranger said it's probably a bobcat. Yeah, that yeah, was so cool. That, yeah, that was cool. So speaking of cave tours, they have about 12 different types of tours, or at least that's what they have listed on the park website. It it seems like at any given time, there's maybe six to eight of those that are offered. They strongly recommend that you get tickets ahead of time and you can get those on recreation.gov. Now, when you look at recreation.gov, there's like 19 different tours that are listed there. So really what you have to do is you have to go to the park's website, see what tours are being offered for that particular time that you you want to go that month or whatever. There's a, there's a good calendar on the website. And so then see what's available and then go to recreation.gov and uh, choose that and, and get your tickets. Yeah. And they also usually have really good descriptions. So you can kind of figure out if that tour is right for you. Some of them are more strenuous than others. Some of them have a lot more stairs to navigate. I think they have tours that range anywhere from one hour to six hours. So definitely uh, read the descriptions and, and try to figure out what's right for you. And, and also if you have children with you or elderly parents or whoever is coming on the cave tour with yeah, you. Yeah, I, I noticed they even have an accessible tour. Oh, they do? So that's I, th- good. I think that's they have something for everybody. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So the tour we took was the Grand Avenue tour, and I, I saw they are still offering that one. That was a great tour. Yeah, it was uh, It was a good long tour. You got a, a real sense of the cave, and it, it was a little bit strenuous. It was four miles. Yeah. It took four hours. Yeah, well, not only is it four miles long, but it has... 1300 mandatory steps and it has another 100 or so optional steps so it's a lot i mean it's a lot of uh, up and down i don't know what they're doing now during covid but we had about 60 people on our tour it was huge yeah i kind of imagine that they maybe have those numbers down now during covid it's a popular tour it is I remember we had and this really bugs me on these cave tours is when the ranger is speaking to the group, which, you know, the ranger is always speaking to the group, right? And then people have side conversations amongst themselves. I I just think that's so rude. And it drives me crazy to hear that. No, I kind of like it. I I like to get to know the people next to me and and hear their conversations. Remember the woman who was talking about, what was it, the new sauce at Taco Bell or the old sauce that went away? Or I don't know. Sometimes the ranger loses loses the group talking about speleothems and but no we Mm. just have to to move to a different part of the group to get away from the side conversations that's right we usually try to stick pretty close to the ranger and on this particular tour we had ranger steve who was really great and during part of the tour we ended up in the there's a dining room that's underground in the cave, 267 feet underground, called the Snowball Dining Room. And we ended up in there for lunch. Do you remember that? I do. Why is it called Snowball Dining Room? There are no snowballs down in the cave. It's always fit like 50 degrees. Actually, Matt, it's called that because they have those... <laughs> I can't say globular. <laughs> 
globular. I can't say. It's because they have those white gypsum balls that cover the ceiling of the of the snowball dining room. Remember those? You mean the globular, <laughs> the globular white gypsum balls? Are you talking about the globular balls? Globular. Oh, globular. <laughs> the globular white gypsum ball? Yes, okay. those. That's okay. why it's called the snowball dining now room. Now I remember. But they um, they don't cook down there, but they sell box lunches already you know pre-made, and they sell soft drinks and candy bars. So we sat with Steve and had lunch with him. Do you remember? And I do remember. I don't yeah. know why we sat at the teacher's table. <laughs> because we always try to be the teacher's pet. <laughs> and this time it worked. Yeah. We told Steve that we were uh, visiting all the parks and... He reached into his pocket and he gave me a wooden nickel that had Mammoth Cave <laughs> printed on it. That's what you get for visiting all the <laughs> national parks. You get, get a wooden nickel. It was a little awkward because because you didn't I get, didn't one. get one. I like, know. What, like, why did you get a wooden nickel? I know. I know. You wanted that wooden nickel. I can sense some bitterness here still. Where is that wooden nickel, Karen? Uh, actually, Matt, I put it in a very, very safe place. Is that right? You mean the wooden nickel that I have from Mammoth Cave <laughs> that I have I have in a safe place? You what, stole you, it from did, me? Did you get a second one? Because I've had it ever since we got back you home from took- the my wooden nickel. So you didn't put it in a safe place. <laughs> okay, that's not the point. The point is you took my wooden nickel. Yeah, I, I have it. <laughs> so that's kind of the low down the info on Mammoth Cave if you're going to visit. But the thing I love about Mammoth Cave is that it has so much incredible history. And a lot of that history is one of the reasons that people think that Mammoth Cave is haunted. Who thinks that? Park rangers, researchers, geologists who have been down there and have had very strange happenings. Really? What's and, what's happened? Well, we'll talk about some of that. We need to do a history channel, okay. and this is gonna be a long okay. history channel. <laughs> okay. I would like to I would like to go put on a pot of coffee. <laughs> Come back in about a half an hour. <laughs> All right. All right. So Mammoth Cave was first discovered by white people in 1797 when a Kentucky homesteader shot and wounded a bear. And then he followed the bear down into the natural cave entrance that's still used today. Is the bear still there? You know, maybe the bear is haunting the cave. Could be. Yeah. (laughs) I never thought about that. But of course, like a lot of our history, it goes back much, much further than 1797. So Mammoth is one of the oldest tour attractions in North America. Um, Many people have lived and worked and died in Mammoth Cave over the centuries, and it's said that their ghosts still haunt those cave passageways today. So let's talk about some of that. The earliest known explorers of the cave were Native Americans who were down in the cave four to 5,000 years ago. What were they doing down there? Well, Matt, thank you for asking. (laughs) They were actually mining. They were mining gypsum and epsomite and other minerals from the passageways of Mammoth Cave. Thousands of years ago? They were mining all this. Yeah, can you believe that? No, no. So they used mussel shells gathered from the Green River to scrape the soft mineral crust off the walls and into containers that they carried down there with them. And you can see evidence of this activity today in the thousands of artifacts that are found littered throughout the cave passageways. 
they also made torches from river cane, and they used those to light their way. And I guess there are just all kinds of unused torches that are still down there, too. I'd love to see all this, wouldn't what, you? What were they doing with all those minerals? Well, they don't really know, but their guess is that they used them for healing properties and for rituals and for farming, but they don't actually know for sure. Uh, So they found other artifacts in the cave like woven fiber sandals, gourd bowls, and even prehistoric cave art like petroglyphs and pictographs. You can see those on the underground roots that they used when they were mining. Now, actually, I say you can see. You can't see. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I don't don't remember this. This is something I would have remembered. The park doesn't allow anyone down there? Well, actually, they do. Uh, So I read that the Violet City Lantern Tour will take visitors visitors past some petroglyphs. Uh, and that's the tour where you don't have you don't have a headlamp or anything. You actually carry carry a lantern like they did in the days of yore. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to add that one to our list. So these prehistoric explorers visited the upper three levels of Mammoth Cave and discovered over 19 miles of cave passageways in what is now the National Park. And interestingly, Several mummies from that era have been found, and they were well-preserved down there for thousands of years because of, you know, the cave temperature and the humidity and everything. Are they still down there? What happened was, and we'll get into more of this, in the in the boom of the cave years in the 1800s when they found these mummies, they displayed them to try to get more tourists to come down, and they weren't always very careful of these mummies, and a lot of them disintegrated. However, now that the Park Service is on it, they have gathered up all the remains and they have spoken with Native American tribes on the proper way to bury them. Oh, I thought you were going to say they walked away. The mummies walked away. (laughs) No. And they're still down there. (laughs) No, the mummies are not still down there. Okay. So moving on to the next chapter, this is more mining. This is saltpeter mining. So back in the early 1800s, enslaved African-Americans worked down there to produce saltpeter. Now, saltpeter was a main ingredient in the production of black gunpowder, which was vital during the War of 1812. So the working conditions down there in this mining operation were terrible. Uh, The workers were in the cave for long hours, sometimes entering before sunrise and leaving after dark. Smoke from the oil lanterns and the fires filled the cave and made it difficult to breathe. And they also worked in cold and darkness that consistently surrounded them. But when the war ended, Mammoth Cave transitioned from a saltpeter production facility into this world-renowned tourist destination. And African-Americans also helped to create this. Uh, In the cave, some of the earliest guides were young enslaved men, such as Stephen Bishop. And you'll hear Stephen's name mentioned frequently on the cave tours as one of Mammoth's earliest discoverers and guides. I remember hearing something related to him about a bottomless pit. Is that the same? memory, Matt. I I do a little bit of research before these episodes. (laughs) Yeah, actually, Stephen was the first person to cross the bottomless pit. Uh, The story goes that one visitor supposedly offered him a fistful of money to take him somewhere new. Fistful? fistful? Fistful. That's how they measured money back then? Yeah, I don't know what that translates to. Uh It's probably more than a wooden nickel, but fistful of money. And so Stephen decided to cross this 105-foot bottomless pit. 
and I guess that's a cavern so deep that when they would throw torches into it, the torches would just disappear. They just toss their torches in there. Yeah, and they did a lot of things back then. The story goes that uh, Stephen Bishop placed a ladder across the pit. And he crawled to the other side while carrying his lantern in his teeth. Did he have to crawl back to the other side to get this fistful of money? Yeah. And he had to get the other guy across, too. The guy with the fistful of money. Oh, that guy paid him, okay, to take him over. Okay, why would anyone do that? I I wouldn't do that for free, let alone a fistful of money. Matt, they were much more manly back then. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, Stephen went on to find uh, the River Styx and Echo Rivers, which are on the cave's bottom level, 360 feet below the surface. He dragged boat building materials all the way down there, uh, built a boat, and sailed on these rivers. Uh, and that was actually later included on the on the cave tours. They they <laughs> they they sailed the rivers. Is there wind down yes. there? So they have, it's a sailboat? Like you're the one who wanted to talk about Mammoth Cave. I'm curious. Now they sailed down the river. Yeah, can we do that? Do they offer tours to do that? Well, unfortunately, not anymore. They used to. They used to have a boat tour on the Echo River, but it was discontinued in the early 1990s because they found that human traffic on the river was causing harm to all those little creatures who lived down there. However, they still do have a River Sticks tour, but I believe that only takes people down to the river and you can see it. it you're not actually on the river. I, I have a lot more questions, but I think for the sake of all of our <laughs> listeners, we're just going to move on. Yes. And I just want to say one more thing about Stephen Bishop. He was the first person to discover a huge swath of new areas in Mammoth Cave, and he is he is considered a legend. Finally, a story with a happy ending. Thank you. Well, actually, no. Stephen died suddenly and very mysteriously at the age of 37, and his body is buried right outside the entrance to the cave. Rangers think that Stephen might be haunting the cave to make sure they're doing a good job on their guided tours. So he's checking up on them. Okay, so when did they build the Snowball Cafe <laughs> or Snack Bar or whatever it was? I know you're can we interested get, in the can sandwiches. We get, can we get to something like food or... <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have any food-related stories on the outline. Next up is the tuberculosis story. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be right back. I have something I need to do. <laughs> Now, this is an interesting story. In 1839, Dr. John Krogan of Louisville, Kentucky, I think that's how you say it, who suffered from tuberculosis, he bought Mammoth Cave for $10,000. Can you believe that? He was the owner. Did it uh, heal his tuberculosis? Well, that's what I'm getting to. So he had this theory. He believed that the cave air would cure tuberculosis. I don't know what he based that Just on. came <laughs> up with this theory? He had observed that timber and animals did not decay within the cave, and somehow he translated that to humans with tuberculosis. Anyway, he hoped the environment w- would provide a cure, so he decided to build an experimental hospital treatment facility down inside the cave. Just keeps getting better. I know. 
He invited 18 patients under his care to live down there in the winter of 1842. So these patients resided within a series of buildings built by enslaved individuals, and these included two stone cabins and eight simple wooden structures. Can you imagine living down there in the no, winter? No, how, how do you talk 18 people into going down into the hole with you? How, how do you do that? I don't know. 18 he must, people? Yeah, he must have been very persuasive. I guess. And the other thing, too, is they had already started doing other cave tours. So people would come down on a cave tour, and they would see these sick individuals in like their nightgowns walking around coughing i'm and never going into a cave ever again i know like, what why do i you know like you can't caves? make these stories up i know as you can imagine as the winter progressed it became clear that the the dank and dark conditions worsened the patient's symptoms also the smoke and ash from the lard oil lanterns and the fires down there filled the chambers with smoke and it further decayed their so, damaged lungs. So the the smoke and the ash in the air didn't help their tuberculosis. It did not surprisingly uh, okay. help the tuberculosis. Now as the weeks wore on, five patients ultimately died inside the cave and their bodies were laid out on what is now known as corpse rock. So Dr. Krogan was forced to return to the surface with his remaining patients and those wood frame huts were dismantled but the two stone cottages remain, and you can see those if you go on the historic tour. Great. Can we go back and do that historic tour? <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah. we can. Um, and to follow up, Dr. Krogan died of tuberculosis in 1849. And ever since then, people have claimed to hear coughing coming from this area. So is this why you think that the cave is haunted? It's one of the reasons. That's but there are all kinds. You know, Matt, <laughs> if I related all of the ghost stories from Mammoth Cave, this would be like a seven-hour podcast episode. Yeah, the Mammoth Cave people, the park rangers, are, are going to love this episode. They're going to have nobody doing the tour. Oh, I think people will be fascinated. Oh, you do? <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, now I have to tell you the most famous ghost story of all. Okay. Are you excited? Well, as long as it doesn't involve tuberculosis. It does not. Okay, good. This is the story of Floyd Collins. Floyd was born in 1887, just to give you some point of reference. Now, if you can picture what's happening in the early 20th century, there was something going on called the Kentucky Cave Wars. This oh, was, yeah, I heard about those. Yeah, this was a bitter competition between cave owners to exploit all the numerous caves in central Kentucky for profit. They wanted to get paying tourists down there. So... This is a time when, yes, there was Mammoth Cave. It was not a national park, but there were so many other caves that had not yet been connected to Mammoth Cave. They were considered individual caves. So people owned them and they wanted to get paying tourists down there. So in 1917, Floyd had discovered Crystal Cave beneath his father's farmland. He developed it into a tourist attraction, but the problem was it was remote and visitors would always stop at the more convenient caves. So at that time, Matt, the there more is convenient yes, caves. the more convenient the, caves. It's big business now. Okay. So there is a railroad that will take people to Mammoth Cave. And there is also the what's called the Cave Road. And unfortunately, 
unfortunately for Floyd, those did not go back to his crystal cave. They stopped at other caves first, so he was not getting any business. So what he did was he made an agreement with a neighbor to explore and develop Sand Cave, which had a much better location. Travelers would arrive at Sand Cave before they got to Mammoth Cave. But there's a problem there. Yeah, I, I can see. Like, <laughs> why are all these people wanting to go in these caves? Exactly. He first entered the cave in January of 1925, but immediately found that it had many challenges. And the main one was it just had tiny little passageways to squeeze through. So as he's exploring it one day, he realized that the oil in his lantern was almost out and he knew it was time to turn around and and leave the cave before he was in complete darkness. So picture this, Matt. He is crawling through a a cave tunnel on his belly. There's only enough room that he has one arm out in front of him to, to scoot his lantern in front of him. And as he is belly crawling, a large 30 pound rock dislodges from the ceiling of this tunnel and it lands on his leg and it pins him in there. Yeah, I can imagine that. It's a sign when you're sticking one arm through a hole. I know. Like, I know. Don't do that. No, don't do that at all. And so now Floyd is trapped. He can't move. He's trapped 55 feet underground, and he's 150 feet away from the cave entrance that he came down. Now, fortunately for Floyd, the next day, his friends and his brother knew he was missing, and they saw his jacket hanging outside the cave, so they went to go find him. They realized he was stuck, and the rescue efforts began. So at this point, they can get Floyd food and water. They brought down some electric lights into the cave so that he had light and some warmth. But they could only access him from the front of this very small tunnel, and they still couldn't pull him out. They even put a harness around his chest and tried to drag him out, but they couldn't free his leg. They should have just stopped feeding him. Wouldn't he get skinny (laughs) and just come through the hole? I think there's there's <laughs> if only you were on the rescue team. This could have just, turned out this could have changed I'm just, Floyd's life. <laughs> I don't know. There's some holes in the story, no pun intended. But Oh god, that's bad. All right. So they are trying to figure this out for a couple days. Unfortunately, now on February 4th, several cracks had formed in the ceiling of the cave and the cave passage collapsed in two places and it was declared too dangerous to go down there anymore to try to get him out. So poor Floyd is stuck in the tunnel and the cave around him has collapsed. So they came up with the idea to drill a six by six foot vertical shaft on top of him to try to reach him that way. Now they wouldn't use drills, dynamite, or power shovels in this rescue attempt because they feared it would cause the cave to collapse and kill Floyd. So the only tools that were allowed were picks and shovels. They had 75 men working around the clock, but as you can imagine, it progressed at a snail's pace. Yeah, I know the feeling. I kind of like this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Now, at this point, above the ground, there is a media circus happening. This was the third biggest worldwide news story between World War I and World War II. 
Only Lindbergh's transatlantic flight and his son's kidnapping garnered more attention than this. Literally tens of thousands of people flocked to the cave, and vendors set up stalls to sell food and souvenirs and moonshine, and it became like a circus out there. So they made money. And then Floyd, he just popped out. He got skinny (laughs) enough. He popped out of the hole. And it all turned out fine. Uh, no, I'm, I'm getting to that point. Okay. We're almost there. So at this point, as they're still trying to dig the shaft, uh, they have lost contact with Collins. They have no way to uh, talk to him. They have no way to get him food or water. So it's a desperate race against the clock to free him. And of course, while they're, the days that they're out there, a cold front moved in and it snowed, temperatures fell into the 20s, and that was followed by heavy rains that filled the shaft with standing water that had to be pumped out. So it goes from bad to worse. Then, finally, on February 16th, 12 days after they started digging the shaft, they finally reached Floyd, and the world waited anxiously for news of his rescue. Sadly, Floyd had passed away from exposure and starvation. He was 38 years old. Well, that's not a good ending. I know. It's a very sad ending. Yeah. Very tragic for Floyd. Why'd you, hit, but, why'd you tell that whole story? Well, because this goes to the haunting of Mammoth Cave, and the story doesn't end there. There's more? Now, at this point, the rescuer still could not free his legs, so they left him in there. They filled the shaft with debris, and they had funeral services up on the surface. But his brother Homer wasn't happy about leaving Floyd in the cave forever, and two months later, he and a friend reopened the shaft and dug a new tunnel. They recovered Floyd's body, and they buried him in the ground on the Collins family farm. Still doesn't end there for Floyd. I was, I was I, hoping. I, I'm starting to feel like Floyd. <laughs> I, I have this nightmare. I'm stuck in a podcast episode. That never ends. My legs are trapped. <laughs> the story isn't over yet. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's so wrap this up. So imagine so. that you're talking to. <laughs> the three listeners who are live <laughs> listening to this episode, right, two, of, two of whom have fallen asleep. For- okay, well, whoever is still with me, thank you. All right, so after a couple years at rest, this is Floyd's rest. Floyd's father sold the homestead and Crystal Cave. You know, that was Floyd's first cave, right, that we talked about. Now, the new owner wanted to put Floyd inside the cave as a tourist attraction. So with permission, I know, poor Floyd. So with permission, he dug up Floyd. He had his facial features restored by a mortician, and he put him in a glass-topped coffin for visitors to see on the cave tour. Yeah, so many bad decisions there. I know. But finally, Crystal Cave is getting all of the visitors that Floyd had wanted a decade or so ago. Now. <laughs> Sorry. I know. You just you can't make this stuff you, up. You're no. making this shit now, up. <laughs> two, years, two years into this. So he's on display in the cave. Floyd's body minus his left leg that's how it was written well what happened to the left well i think because it was pinned under the rock maybe the only way they could get him out was amputating it so his body is stolen out of the cave of all the things you want to steal yeah a dead you're going for this they think maybe it was the cave competitors who were tired of everybody going (laughs) to crystal cave that's right i remember a couple of days ago you Mm -hmm. told us about the cave wars (laughs) 
<laughs> so fortunately, Floyd's body was later recovered near the Green River. The owner of the cave put what was left of Floyd back in the casket, but this time he chained it to the wall. <laughs> Just in case. So you're going down there to steal it again. You see the chain and you think, oh, they chained it. We can't get the body out. That's going to slow down well, the, the body stealers? Well, what they also did was they replaced the glass coffin lid with a regular lid. But apparently tourists were still able to lift it because they did. They wanted to get a peek at Floyd, so they would lift the lid. So that is Floyd's story. Now, in 1961, the National Park Service bought Crystal Cave, and the cave was then closed to the public. And in 1989, Floyd was finally moved to the Mammoth Cave Baptist Church Cemetery. It took a team of 15 men three days to remove the casket and his tombstone from down inside the cave. But here's the question. Is Floyd really gone? So if you do the math, Matt... It was about. (laughs) Give me a second if you're going to ask me to do the math. (laughs) Give me a second to do the math. (laughs) Well, I'll do it for you. It was about a 30 year span from the time when the National Park Service bought Crystal Cave and when the body was removed. So, 30 years. It's still down there, right? And throughout these 30 years, National Park Service employees, explorers, and scientists have heard unexplained voices and footsteps in Crystal Cave. Okay, so this is where I think there's a hole in the story. Why is that? He only has one leg. (laughs) There are no footsteps. Maybe maybe if they'd heard hopping, I could believe it. Okay, we're going to have to edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to mention a few of these instances. Okay, they've heard footsteps. Okay, Matt, so these are all documented, by the way. And these, again, these are professional people. These are not visitors. So I think this adds some credibility to these stories, right? Are you you still talking to me? (laughs) Are you? (laughs) I'm sorting through the mail. (laughs) Are you still talking to me? Anyway, a caver named Candace Leak was exploring down there when she tripped and she started falling into a five-foot canyon. But before she hit bottom, a hand grabbed her and pulled her back. So would that have been one of the tuberculosis patients or Stephen Bishop, Floyd Collins? I, I haven't, I'm having trouble keeping track of all of these people. All of the ghosts that all are the, Yeah, the all cave. the different ghosts. <laughs> well, maybe that's because you haven't been paying close well, attention. <laughs> I, I was gone for only like 45 minutes. <laughs> then, in 1961, two researchers were in that area when they heard a ringing sound near the coffin. And when they went to investigate, they found an old telephone on the wall. So, what would you do? The wait, phone is ringing. wait, wait, back, back it up. They're in the cave. Uh-huh. They find a telephone in the cave that's ringing. Yes. Okay. And by the way, I don't think I mentioned this before. There's all kinds of interesting stuff that that has been left in the cave. Also, be- like a phone. Like a phone. So of course they answered the phone, and they could hear sounds coming from the other end, like background noises, and then they heard a gasp, and the line went dead. Okay, so that's unusual in and of itself, but 
On the way out of the cave, they traced the phone wires back up to the entrance and back up the hill to the old ticket office. And that's when they saw it. They saw the cut ends of the phone lines dangling from a pole with no connection to anything. Wow, that is that is a great story. So next week on our podcast, <laughs> no okay, still not done. Oh, okay, God. no, you'll like this, this is, one. <laughs> this is this is the nightmare. The nightmare is this podcast, and it's so appropriate that Halloween is right. is this week uh-huh. that. No, you're going to like this one. This okay. is this is again, this is still Floyd. Great. Okay. In 1987, NPS employees were exploring the area around the casket. Okay, the casket is still there. Got it. When all of a sudden, a whiskey bottle that was perched up on a ledge fell down in front of them. I figured you'd like any story involving whiskey. Yeah, I would like some whiskey right now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So do you think that maybe some of these stories are made up? No. I believe every single one of them. Why would would these researchers and and National Park Service rangers and explorers, why would they make any of this up? I I have no idea. I think it's 100%. Yeah. But, you know, you had mentioned going back to do the that historic tour. And now after reading all this, I really want to do it because on that particular tour, you can see a lot of them, the mining structures that were set up are still there. You can see signatures from miners on the wall. And we could also see those tuberculosis huts that you were so fond of. Yeah, I will be on the surface hiking the 80 miles of trails <laughs> in the park looking for bobcats. <laughs> okay, but this might talk you into it okay during part of the historic tour the rangers do the same thing that the rangers in carlsbad caverns do they turn off the electric lights so that visitors can get a feel for the absolute darkness of the cave yeah i love that part when it's dark and quiet but here's the thing during the historic tour, several rangers have reported that when they reached for the light switch to turn the lights back on, they have felt a strong push on their shoulder and also someone grabbing their arm. And how soon can we go back? <laughs> can we get on recreation.gov now and book one of those? So in closing, here is a quote from Carrie Woods, one of the guides on the historic tour. When we arrived at the light switch, the other guide had me turn off the lights. I kept my hand on top of the switch and I felt a touch on it. It was enough to move my hand. It wasn't a bat, it felt just like a hand. I abruptly shined my flashlight all around, but the rest of the group was ahead of me and no one was behind or beside me. No one living, that is. Is, is this where I sing our episode song? Wow, 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 no, wow. this is where we cue the spooky oh, music. Okay. <laughs> all right, thanks to all of you who have made it this far. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. As usual, probably too much fun. And we meant no disrespect in all seriousness. We owe a debt to those who worked and explored the cave throughout the centuries. Their struggles are what paved the way for the rest of us to enjoy this incredible national treasure. That's right. Now, next week, we'll be back to our regular episodes and our regular music. 
in November, we'll have an episode coming out about three perfect days in New River Gorge National Park and one about the top things to do in the two Hawaii national parks for all of you who've requested that. I know. We've gotten so many messages about uh, doing an episode on the Hawaii parks. I guess a lot of lucky people are headed to Hawaii this winter. Now, if you'd like to follow our current travels, unfortunately, which won't be to Hawaii anytime soon, you can find us on Instagram at Matt and Karen Smith, on Twitter at Matt and Karen, and on Facebook at Dear Bob and S. So, Karen, I have an idea. Okay. The next time you want to do an episode on Kentucky, we should do one on the Bourbon Trail. Five <laughs> perfect days, five or six, five, five or six <laughs> perfect days on the Bourbon Trail. I'll do the research. I'll do, well, I'll try to do the outline. Okay, that sounds great. It'll be all you, Matt. All you. Okay.